Welcome to episode number 186 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, and the topic of leadership and communication is one of the most foundational elements for any program of change, transformation, and business growth. And today, we're talking with Joe Hart, who is the CEO of Dale Carnegie. And we're going to be talking about these topics. Joe, how are you? And thank you for joining us. Terrific, Michael. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Joe, we all know the name Dale Carnegie, but tell us about your organization and the history of it. You've been around for a long time. And what do you do? Sure. Well, so Dale Carnegie was founded by Dale Carnegie who is the author of How to Win Friends and Influence People. So it has been a best-selling book for 80 years. Uh, so many people have read it and sworn by it. Probably not a day goes by where someone doesn't tell me that they've been influenced by Dale Carnegie's principles. He, Dale Carnegie started to teach a program in 1912 that really caught fire. And so I can tell you a little bit about the, the, the program and how it's evolved over the years. But today we are uh, 200 operations in 90 countries uh, delivering training in 30 languages. A lot of what we do is still based on the original work that Dale Carnegie had uh, developed. So it's really enduring and proven and so forth. It's not one of these kind of flavors of the month. It's something that really has been very significant, uh, whether it's around uh, presentation skills, interpersonal skills, sales leadership, uh, that type of thing. So tell us about the program and tell us what, what makes it unique. So Dale Carnegie, I mean, just let's start with the proposition. Dale Carnegie believed that every single person has greatness. And so really the challenge and the opportunity is to help each person pull that out. A lot of times we are capable of so much more than we think we are. We've got skills and abilities that we don't even know about. So he developed a program that goes over the course of you know, days or weeks, depending upon how it's set up that puts people through uh, experiences and has them stand up and, and, and talk in front of a group and so forth, that ultimately gets people outside of their comfort zone and helps them you know, develop in a way that maybe they, they hadn't anticipated. For example, when I took the course for the first time in 1995, I mean, there were people who would stand up in front of the room. In the beginning, they couldn't even say their name. And by the time they were done, they were up there. They were professional. They were terrific. They were you know, changed people. And because part of what happens is you develop confidence and skills and leadership and the ability to deal with stress and so forth. So, so even today, so much of what we do is designed to help, you know, build on interpersonal relationships and help people present and communicate more effectively and to develop that confidence that really can be a game changer. And a lot of people will say they have confidence. And sometimes it's really honing that and being able to apply that in a way that helps you know, people interact with each other more positively and be a better leader. So you're in 200 com countries and this... Uh, 90, pro 90 countries. 90 countries, I'm sorry. And this program has been around for, for so many decades. So clearly there are very durable and enduring aspects of it. Can you describe... What about it? What where's what is that appeal, and what is the special sauce that you have that so many others do not? Yeah, so that's that's a great question, Michael. And so, you know, the How to Win Friends and Influence People book consists of thirty principles, and the How to Stop Worrying and Start Living book consists of thirty principles. So basically, our typical Dale Carnegie course will focus on those 
60 principles. And, and sometimes people will say, you know, these are, are common ideas, but they're not commonly practiced. So things like do not criticize, condemn, and complain, and to give honest and sincere appreciation, and to arouse in the other person an eager want to listen and so forth. So really going back to what I was saying before, it really is the idea that the way that we interact with someone that, that defines everything. That defines what we can accomplish. It defines, defines the, the quality of the happiness or unhappiness of our lives or at work and so forth. And so what we're really are, are, are focused on is, is getting people to see things from another person's point of view and to really interact with people in a more positive way. And when people do that, then they can accomplish things that, that they previously couldn't accomplish just by themselves. You know, when you talk about uh, getting people to see, uh, to interact and understand the other's point of view and obviously to have empathy, it's funny, the, when we talk about uh, companies and we talk about brands and customer experience, that's exactly what we're trying to do in terms of getting brands to see their customers that way. So it's a, just a core human quality. Absolutely. And it's funny, it's, it's something that at one level seems obvious, and at the other level, when we think about just how we work throughout the day, a lot of times we're focused on our priorities, things that are important to us and so forth. And even a company, using the, the example that you just talked about, where a company you know, might have an opinion about what its customers want, but, but really to understand that the most successful companies are those that understand truly what their customers need and what their struggles are and so forth, and are able to solve those problems. And so it, it's the same kind of, of thinking, uh, whether it's around how you and I interact with each other in a work environment, whether it's around how companies interact with their customers, whether it's around how, you know, parents interact with their kids. And, and I, I, I could share with you some examples of, of how we see this in practice, but, but the people who are able to do this really are the ones who are able to rise to the top of an organization, to be leaders in an organization, and, and really to drive change. So these characteristics that you're describing based on your organization's experience, and I know that you've done research into this as well, these are the characteristics that, that the people who are rising inside companies typically possess. That's right. And so you, you referenced the research, Michael. So we, we conducted some research. We started it about a year ago, and it was originally in the United States and Brazil. And we were so intrigued by what we learned. What we really were looking at were what are the kinds of things that really motivate people to be their very best? And what are the things that really demotivate people and, and cause people to just be, you know, horrible in the workplace, so to speak, just uninspired? And how often do people see those kinds of things? So we were intrigued by what we found. We then expanded that research to 13 countries and several thousand people. And really, it kind of boiled down to four, four different characteristics that really drive the greatest leaders. And I can be happy to share what some of those are if you'd like me to. Well, yes, absolutely, because I think we, we all want to have the results that possessing these characteristics gives us. So, so please do break it down and, and let us learn from, from your experience and your research. Okay, well, sound, sounds good. So the first one, and we, we characterize these as R-E-A-L, or real, real leadership. And the R stands for reliable. And what we're talking about here, if you think about a leader who is first 
internally reliable and also externally reliable. So externally reliable is obvious, right? So, and this is foundational because it really drives trust in how I relate with other people. But a person who's externally, externally reliable is one who essentially does what he or she says that they're going to do. So if over time you and I have an interaction and you know that when I say something, I do it, I've got that character and so forth, that creates a, a trust and an accountability um, that, that is inspirational to other people who are working with you. You know that you're, you're in the trenches together, so to speak. Internally reliable is a little bit different. We all have as people this, you know, the ability to kind of sense when people are being authentic or when they're not being, and, and whether you know, they're adhering to their own sense of values or not. So we all have a sense of values that we, we communicate through how we interact with people and so forth through what we say. And so a person who's internally reliable is one who is consistent to those values. It's not the person who's trying to be something that they're, that they're not, and it's obvious to people when, when that happens. And so it, it's funny because when we talk about the R, the E, the A, and the L, they're all important. And at the same time, this concept of reliability, of credibility, everything else is premised on it. If you don't have this, then um, it's, everything else is, is a challenge. Can you elaborate on this relationship between reliability and credibility? Because these two are so very foundational. Absolutely. And by the way, the opportunity here, I mean, this is this is not something that is is limited just to a CEO or to a VP. It, it, this is anyone. It's you and me, how we interact with, the, with each other. And and so it, it is um, really demonstrating, you know, that consistency over time. To elaborate a little further, part of what the research told us is that if we look at wanting to be effective in an organization, two things that we look at are, you know, what, what is the level of job satisfaction in an organization? What's the level of second uh, turnover in an organization? And very consistently, we see that when someone works with, if I report to someone who is uh, not externally reliable or internally reliable, the the likelihood that I am dissatisfied with my job is, is significant, five to seven times higher. The retention rates for, for the organization are dramatically lower than an organization. If, if I'm reporting to you, Michael, and, and, and I find you to be uh, just a reliable, credible person, you do the things that you say you're going to do, I can trust you, I can sense that you are acting in a way that's consistent with your values, the chances are extremely high that I will be engaged in my organization, that I will be committed to the organization, that I will not be looking for another position, and so forth. So th those are a couple of ways that that manifests itself in the workplace. And then what about the dimension of trust? So it, it's interesting you, you asked about trust, because when we look at, just to, to kind of go ahead for a second, the E is for empathetic, the A is for aspirational, and the L is for learn. And I'm going to talk about those in a second. So the, the need, the great, great leaders have or demonstrate an empathy or caring for their people. You know, we, we, we know sometimes when people are interested in us, they listen to us, they ask questions about us. And I'll, I'll talk more about that and the other characteristics uh, as well. But if there's no trust, let's just pretend that you and I are working together and you don't trust me. But I, I, I demonstrate what appears to be empathy. Well, how are you going to perceive that? If you don't trust me, it might seem self-serving if I'm asking about you, if I'm asking about your family, if I'm asking you about your opinion in the job, but you know that I'm not someone who is, is credible or trustworthy. I mean, it doesn't matter how empathetic I really am um, or how much, how well I'm able to cast a great vision for you. 
or how much I learn from our, our experiences interacting with, the, with each other, that trust is a foundational piece. So, so really, that has to be the most important uh, layer of, of all of this. Everything else builds on it. And, and frankly, it's, it's the easiest thing is to, to, to do because it really just goes to integrity and really being consistent in what we say and, and, and do and how we communicate. So, so trust is about integrity and consistency. Absolutely right. Yeah, it's about, it's about consistency. It's about integrity. It's about, and, and this is the thing too, right? It, it, trust is very difficult to gain and very easy to lose. And, and people's perception, you know, is, is their own perception. So, so my perception is my reality. So, so to some degree, you know, I, I can be though, I can be, you know, trustworthy and externally reliable and so forth. And if someone doesn't see that, that may be just their paradigm. But in most cases where we have a relationship that progresses over time, think about when you meet someone new. Think about when someone new comes into the organization. Say it's a, a new CFO starts with the company, right? Um, so he comes in or she comes in and starts to interact with people in the department. They may be guarded at first, and that's natural. We, we all, when we first meet someone, are trying to figure out, you know, who is this person? And as that person interacts over time, you know, when he or she is clear about, you know, what's important to him or to her and, and ultimately, you know, follows through on those things, that's the foundation of a relationship. And, and then when you have that kind of level of trust, what you have is the ability for people to work and interact together and to achieve amazing things. Because really, there's only so much that I can do on my own or by myself. We are all uh, interdependent. Irrespective, sometimes we, we get into this silo mentality. We, we, we focus on technology and, and we might even tune people out. And at the same time, we're all interconnected. We're all dependent upon others to achieve great things. I want to remind everybody we're talking with Joe Hart, who is the CEO of Dale Carnegie. And as we're talking, there's a tweet chat going on using the hashtag CXOTalk. And if you tweet, your questions, we can get Joe to answer them. And Joe, we do have a question from Twitter from Arsalan Khan, who asks, people are good, but sometimes in organizations, they turn bad and do very negative things. And what are, what are the dynamics that take place that drive that change? And what can leaders, what should leaders do to avoid that? So that, that, that issue is, is really something that, that can't happen. People could be influenced by those around them. They can make decisions that maybe are inconsistent with their own, own views, so to speak. And, and really, the opportunity is, is you know, I, I can't necessarily control what someone else does. So if, Michael, if, if, if we start working together and, and you start behaving in a way that is inconsistent with your values or whatnot, or is negative, I mean, you know, what we would encourage is um, is to try to have some sort of a positive dialogue. I mean, uh, not to be afraid necessarily to, to to address this with someone, but to do it in a way that respects you as a person, that doesn't put you on the defensive. So we talk about, you know, starting in a positive way, helping the person say, you know, yes, yes, demonstrating appreciation. So, you know, I, I'm trying to think of an example of, of someone where, you know, where, where someone maybe did something that I disagreed with, say it's, you know, in, in the organization, you know, I could go and say, you know, Michael, you, you did this and this and this and this, and it's a real problem. It's not acceptable. And I mean, 
think about how we feel when people kind of address us in that way. Now, the other way to address that might be something, you know, to, to start with, you know, hey, Michael, we'd like to have a conversation with you, and, and uh, would that be okay? And sure, it would be. And, you know, and maybe by starting with with appreciation, you know, you know I, you've been here for a year, and you've, I've seen so many, and focus on, and this got to be sincere. This is not just about, it's like, what do I sincerely appreciate about the person, maybe who who is, uh, and, and this can be hard, right? This can be hard because, you know, someone can be really, you know, negative or hurtful, but can we approach them in a positive way and try to have, have a dialogue and to demonstrate, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about you, Michael, is, you know, the work ethic that you've demonstrated here. I know that you've been in early, you've been working out late. I know you're, you've got a lot in your plate and it's really, you know, tremendous. You know, one thing I was going to ask, I know last week, you know, when we were in the meeting, and, you know, uh, when Sue brought up this idea, you kind of had said, ah, it's just a, 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 a dumb idea or whatnot. And, you know, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of how that made her feel. I mean, so, so it's that kind of a way that, that is not afraid at all to address the issue. And in fact, you know, we go to the E and it's empathetic because every single person has the desire to be appreciated, the desire to be respected. And, um, and we all know that when we're criticized, you know, how do we feel if we feel attacked? So the, the, the question is really, how do you go about addressing that? Hopefully that, that addresses the question that was was raised. It's kind of how I perceived the question was really about, you know, how do you, how do you deal with people who are, are, are negative? And that doesn't always, always work. And at the same time, in my experience, having those kinds of positive interactions and, and, and following, you know, say some of these principles that are, we have a book called uh, The Golden Book. It, it consists of, of these principles. This is downloadable, downloadable from our, our website, uh, but it really outlines ways, you know, how can you disagree with someone in an agreeable way? Someone says something that is completely contrary to what you believe. How do you, how do you engage that person in a, a positive way and maybe even have that person uh, come to a different way of thinking? It's so interesting to me because really, in a sense, you're describing uh, maintaining a level of bravery in terms of addressing the issue, but then ensuring that you address the issue in the most positive way and also respectful way that's possible. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it always starts with respect and we respect, you know, we need to respect each person that we interact with. Even And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes, you know, people, you know, maybe are acting in a, in a, in a very poor way. I mean, maybe there are some situations where, you know, it's beyond reproach and someone needs to go to HR or something like that. But in, in, in most situations where there's an inter interaction in the day-to-day -day kind of life of a company, for example, I think a lot of it can just be addressed. And I, and I get, Michael, testimonials from people all the time about how, you know, they apply these principles and, and it really can make a huge difference in the relationships. We have another question from Twitter from Wayne Anderson who says, how can you use the principles of real in order to repair leadership or repair broken trust? So that, that's, that is a great uh, question, Wayne. And I, I guess I'm, I'm gonna look at that because this is, this is a tweet. I, I can't ask about follow-up, but you know, the way I'm looking at it is, let's just say the leader has lost trust. So how does the leader, how does an individual go to regaining trust? And, you know, and part of what we would say, the principles are, look, if you've made a mistake, you know, admit it quickly and emphatically. If I've done something that, that um, has been hurtful to somebody else, I might just say, you know, Wayne, um, 
you know, I was, I was reflecting on our conversation the other day. I was reflecting on, on something I said, and I, I perceived that it might have been hurtful to you. And I want to just come out and apologize because that's not really who I am. That's not how I, I feel. I think I was upset or stressed or whatever the, the case may have been. But but not to, not to I think a lot of times we're, we're afraid to just say I'm wrong. And yet if we admit something, that, that's a great way just to start out by, by rebuilding a relationship and to acknowledge that, you know, if, you know where we went wrong and how we went wrong and to, and to ask someone to, to, to work with us. And that would be true in an individual relationship like uh, Michael, you or I, or Wayne, or, you know, say we're talking, or in an organizational relationship. Let's just say the company has made a bad decision. Well, don't, don't necessarily hide and say, uh, we didn't make a bad decision or just pretend it didn't happen. It might be good for the CEO of the leader of the business to, to go to all the employees and say, you know, I want to acknowledge something. I've looked at the decision that we made, and this was, this was in hindsight, here's why we made the decision. Um, we thought it was the right decision, and we see that it wasn't, and here's what we're going to do instead. So, so that's a great way to kind of prepare. Um, but again, it's, it's by being authentic. It's got to be truthful. It's got to be sincere. And it's got to just go to, um, you know, really painting a, a vision for, you know, how we're going to go from here. It's so it's so interesting the things you're describing because in some cases they they seem common sense but so often forgotten and what you were just describing if you make a mistake admit it makes me think of how many times have we read in the newspapers where a a person made some mistake I mean Martha Stewart when she was caught uh, with her stock tr trading it wasn't the it wasn't the act it was the cover up that's exactly right. You know, and I think people have a lot of empathy. We, we look, all of us make mistakes. None of us are perfect. So, 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 you know, if Martha Stewart were to have come forward up front and to say, look, um, you know, I, I, here's what I did. I feel awful about it. It was the wrong thing to do. I mean, I think about, I mean, not to point at anyone, you know, Lance Armstrong had the same kind of situation and then ultimately had to kind of come, come clean and say, all right, what, what, well, there was no place else, else to go. You know, had he perhaps come clean up front um, that that might have been a way that could have put him in a position of, of really restoring I mean, politicians, same type of thing. So, but 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 not only that, Michael. I mean, I think about just our everyday relationships, the people that we work with, the people that we live with, the people that we see and that we interact with. I mean, the quality of our lives, the happiness that we have, the ability that we have to to really achieve great things depends so much on on these on the quality of those relationships. And it starts with me, and it starts with you know how I I'm choose to behave. Now, what about communication? Because it's not because we may have empathy and we may have respect, but if we're not communicating in the right way, then people won't know that. They won't recognize it and it won't have the effect. Yeah, so so communication can be tricky, right? Because we may think that we're being clear. <laughs> and, and, and you probably have the situation I, as, I have where I may say, gosh, you know, I, I don't know how I could be more clear. Sometimes it starts with, you know, communications a two-way street and maybe may start by listening and asking questions. So, you know, you and I, you know, I may be trying to tell you something and you it may be clear. I may say, you know, Michael, so help me understand, you know, what, what your view is on this. You know, so we're, we're talking about you know, something at work. And, you know, what, what's your view, Michael? And, and let you and, and let you start talking about it. And, let me, and I'll start listening about it. But it's got to really be a generous listening. It's really got to be my, okay, so what you're saying is, 
you know, is A, B, C, and D. Is that right? And then, you know, and then that creates an opening, really, once, once I've understood you, it's really for me to communicate, you know, how, how what I'm, I'm seeing or, or believing, you know, it ties into that so that you can see it. So communication is not just me saying words clearly. It really is to look at the person I'm speaking with and who's speaking with me and to make sure that there really is, um, you know, respect and dialogue. It's not just thinking about, all right, what am I going to say next? It's not just about trying to posture or position. It is really, say, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to listen. I want to hear what Michael thinks and tell me what your views are and so forth. And, and we, we believe that that's really, you know, one of the most important elements of communication is that effective, generous listening. It also sounds like the advice that you're giving applies equally as much, again, to companies. And I think about PR, public relations, the, the best PR does exactly what you've just been describing. It's not just a one-way communication, but there's a two-way dialogue that goes on. Absolutely. It, 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 is, it is listening. It's trying to understand. It's, it's, it's admitting. It is... Uh, you know, it's, it, again, it starts with, it does start with the R. It starts with it just being, you know, reliable. And that, that, that reliability is fundamental to trust. And trust is fundamental to all relationships, whether it's a corporate relationship, a customer relationship, an individual relationship, and so so. Now, what about the element of motivation? Because I know that's another very important aspect of leadership and another aspect of of your program as well. How do you, how can a leader motivate people? So let me go back because I, the, the, the issue of motivation is one of the most you know, frustrating things to many leaders, right? They say, gosh, how do I motivate people? I don't see people who are motivated. And, and really what we, what we know is that motivation can be you know, internal, intrinsic or extrinsic, right? So extrinsic is, you know, uh, Michael, you're gonna do this because if you don't do this, you're gonna get fired. You're, Michael, you're gonna do this because I'm gonna pay you to do it or whatever it is. And then intrinsic motivation is really getting to the heart. It's where, where a person does something because it's important to them for their own reasons. And so the only way that you get to intrinsic, uh, intrinsic motivation, and this really goes to the, the E in real, it's empathy, it's empathetic, it's demonstrating caring and understanding. And, and I wanna qualify this too, because um, sometimes the word empathy is viewed as soft. It's viewed as weak. And some of the most effective leaders, and I give you a great example of this, you know, are empathetic. They listen. They want to understand. They, they believe that they don't have all the answers. They want to honor the people that they work with by hearing their perspective and their point of view. So empathy really is a critical part to your question about motivation. It's hard to motivate. If you want to call motivate, I mean, we might say you don't motivate, you really inspire. But it's hard to inspire or motivate someone um, if, if they perceive that you, you, you don't care about them, you know, and again, when we talk about empathy, we mean sincerely, you know, caring or listening or trying to, to, to you know, put myself in that person's shoes. So it's, there, there's no quality here of sort of faking it. Absolutely not. I mean, again, that, that goes to the, the R and, and people can see that. I mean, you know, People, you know, sometimes people will look at a Dale Carnegie principles and they'll say, oh, this is this is manipulation. And Dale Carnegie is very clear. It's got, I mean, that never works. It may work on a short-term basis, but it's not long-term and a long-term way to build a successful relationship or to to be, to achieve great things over time. I mean, so, so really it's got to be genuine. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be honest. It's got to be consistent with who I am. 
but you know, but this this issue of empathy. Just I want to give you an example, if I may. You know, uh, one of the greatest leaders in our time is a man named Alan Mulally. Alan Mulally was the CEO of Ford Motor Company. He came from Boeing, and and really had saved Boeing and had saved Ford. I mean, probably no company was at the verge of bankruptcy closer than than Ford Motor Company was when he took it over in 2006. And he's a guy who, when he went to Ford, had every right to come in and say, look, I know what I'm doing. Here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. Let's go. And in fact, he had a plan. And at the same time, he was the kind of leader who would, instead of going to the executive dining room for lunch, would go down to the company cafeteria, would grab a tray, would stand in line, you know, would get his food with everyone else, would go sit down at a table and say, hey, I'm, I'm Alan Mulally. I'm the CEO. would love to hear about what you think about the company. People would reach out to him. And you know, someone had sent him an email one time, you know, complaining about one of the issues relative to a design of a vehicle. And and Malali picks up the phone and says, Come on up here. They look at these blueprints, and Malali says, You're you're absolutely right. He learns something from this person. So so empathy is something really goes to looking at the other person's perspective, to uh, to respecting that person's perspective. And ultimately, I mean, he made he made very tough decisions in that business. He had to let a lot of people go and so forth. So it's not necessarily a weak quality. It is a quality that says many people, other people have great ideas and, and their ideas can make my ideas better. And we can, we can do more working together than we can by trying to posture or trying to put, you know, uh, to make myself look good, so to speak. It's really about trying to honor the other person and to demonstrate that listening. Alan Mulally was also um, elected to the Google Board of Directors. Yes, he was. <clears throat> yeah, he's, he's a tremendous uh, leader. He's, I'm sure he'll do great for Google. So how can one learn these skills? Because I think for, for many of us, we, we would recognize the, the value of what you're describing. But in the heat of the moment, we get, we're caught up with our, our own concerns and pressures and stresses. And we may not live up to these ideals. So how can one learn these things and then internalize them so that we're able to maintain them consistently, as you said? Yeah, so I, I've got some experience with this because you know I, I actually kind of struggled with that, that same issue. And I'll just share with you 20 years ago, you know, I took a Dale Carnegie course and you know, I was a young lawyer and, and, and probably had you know, a, a degree of arrogance and so forth. And so I took a Dale Carnegie course and I was introduced. I mean, I had been familiar with the Dale Carnegie how to win friends and influence book, you know, but the, but the first thing was that the course really put these principles right out in front of me. And, <clears throat> and so it was, it was coming out of that course that I said, you know, I need to practice these because if I don't practice them, then that the, knowing them is, is, is really worthless if I'm not living them. And it's funny because even going back to Alan Mulally, Alan Mulally, his father gave him the how to win friends and influence people book when he was a teenager. And he read it over and over and over and practiced it. And that's what I did too. And so it's in practicing, first of all, you gotta know what, know what the objective is. So if the objective is to give honest and sincere appreciation, it is to work on that. Um, this is something that we do in our courses, in our Dale Carnegie courses. So, I mean, maybe this is just one kind of plug I'd put for, for what we do all over the world every day, is, um, is someone could, they, they could take a Dale Carnegie course. And that's part of what we do is we help people transformationally uh, apply these so that they, they come out of the process a different person. You know, and at the same time, but again, it's it's knowing what they are. It's it's being able to have these, to look at these, to understand them, and to start applying them. And anyone can buy the book uh, at Borders or on Amazon, Borders, 
at, um, at Barnes and Noble or uh, you know, Amazon uh, and just, you know, it's like 10 bucks, so. <clears throat> now, what about tra transformation and change? Because many of the people who are listening are in industries related, companies related to technology, where there's so much change that's going on. And it's not just the technology, but it's the culture that's changing. And so what are the principles that a leader can use to help drive successful change inside their organization? Yeah, so, so there, what are the strategies that a leader can apply? And also what happens if I'm on the receiving end of change, right? Because often it will be someone who, who is in an organization, someone new comes in, or it could be changing the marketplace. You know, think about the tech, the IT industry, really, it's, it's all the markets these days seem so dynamic and fluid, and there's this massive change. You know, so the first thing is, you know, being on the receiving end, you know, how do I respond to change? You know, um, many people will respond, you know, with fear, and some of that's natural. I mean, part of it is to assess what it means. And at the same time, you know, it would be maybe cliche to talk about embracing change. And a part of what Dale Carnegie, we, we teach is, is how to handle stress and worry, how to look at things in, in living day tight compartments, how to um, really, because sometimes what happens is people, people will get a couple of data points and then extrapolate it all the way to the end and be like, ah, you know, what's going on? And, and really, so that, that resistance, that fear is just internally just, so the first thing is just to have even how do I how do I manage myself and how do I embrace, you know, what might be something really good for me or really good for the company. So it would be to have a positive attitude, an open attitude at least, and really to to, to look at how I'm responding to things. As a leader, you know, so much of change and recognizing that people are often afraid of change, you know, is I think number one, it's it's not just to come out and to, just to change things. It is Number one, before you before you change, to, to listen to people and talk about what, what kind of change, if, if you, you know, we were working together, so Michael, what kind of changes do you think we need here? And really to listen and to gather and to understand, you know, what point, what different points of view are around change and to take those into consideration. So, so that when we have a plan, it's not just my plan, it's our plan. We're working together to have a plan. And then, you know, the question is, well, how do I communicate that? The last thing you want is someone to hear about this, you know, through, through the grapevine, we talk about, you know, where there's lack of communication, there's a vacuum and vacuum, the vacuum creates, you know, gossip and worry and so forth. So it's to get out ahead of the change as much as possible and to try to promote transparency. And, and that, that's an ever evolving process. I mean, I know that even in my own experience here, you know, I aspire for us to become, and I've been here for about a year, just a, a highly transparent organization, you know, internally with our, our, our team uh, internally with, we have uh, franchise owners throughout the world, you know, it really is to work together. So not simply to say the wrong way to go about change is to say, here's what we're doing. And you, you know, just, you better get on board. The better way is to really involve people so that we work on the change together, that we communicate the change together, that we've got metrics and, and data that are, are really indicating where we are in that journey and to be open to questions that people have and to really try to, uh, be empathetic about them and not just to say, you I mean, it'd be easy to say to somebody, hey, look, you know, just suck it up or whatever the issue might be. You just, you know, but, but we, we need to put ourselves in the other person's uh, shoes. We need to try to see things honestly from the other person's point of view. And in doing that, 
we can ultimately then move an entire organization or department or whatever it might be to change. I think in many organizations, what you're describing is a kind of theory, but in practice, it doesn't happen that way. I, I, I wonder what recommendations you have for, for companies to help ensure that this actually takes place. It's a tough question you're asking because ultimately it comes down to individual decisions. And, you know, it, it also it comes down to how people, you know, view the world and how people view their, their place in the company. And, you know, one of the things that Dale Carnegie talked about, and he was very, you know, prolific about was the concept of service. People talk about servant leadership and so forth. And so, you know, it, the, the idea that um, if, if, if if I am viewing myself as having all the answers, I mean, you know, we, we haven't gotten all the R, the A, the A, the, the A and the L, we should make sure we do that. You know, but I, I think about like even a Warren Buffett, you know, Warren Buffett is someone who is one of the most successful people in history. And he's one of the first people who will say, I don't have all the answers. I spend 80% of my time reading, listening, learning. He's got a level of humility and service that has created unbelievable value and wealth in the world. And, and, Part of that is because of who he is and because, he, and by the way, Warren Buffett is a huge proponent of, of Dale Carnegie. He'll talk about Dale Carnegie helped change you know, his life. It's the only degree he has in his wall in his office is a Dale Carnegie you know, degree, so to speak. So, so it, it has to start with the individual. And the only individual I can impact is myself. I mean, directly. I can try to influence, and that's really what our principles and our strategies are all about, is how do I influence people? Um, in a positive way. So, um, but that, that's it. It starts, it starts with me. If it is to be, it is up to me. Now, you mentioned influence, which is another one of those terms which has been become so widely adopted now with social media because we, we talk about, we hear about influencers and using social media to influence. And so how does what you're saying translate onto using using tools like social media to to drive influence and how can how can one we all want to know how can we be more influential so so it's interesting because one might think that the principles i'm talking about only work uh, in interpersonal uh, exchanges and really the same principles apply to how i communicate whether it's in a post or a tweet or an email or whatnot um, you know, it, it is before I, in fact, it's in one of the, the, the challenges we want to have influence and, and sometimes we're firing things off so quickly. We're not necessarily thinking about the impact of, of, the, of the words that we use or the things that we're going to say or to put ourselves in the position of the recipient of that, that message. And so influence really still starts even in that context. I mean, I, there are exceptions to this. There are people who are audacious. There are people who are offensive. There are people who, who have people follow them just because they are unusual. And at the same time, you know, some of the greatest if, uh, thought leaders, if we think about thought leaders, they're people with a perspective and they're communicating that perspective in a way that is, is ultimately going to help or influence an audience. I mean, so even, even, even uh, you here with this show, you are here to try to provide your audience with a value. And so, I mean, fundamentally what you're trying to do is the idea that Dale Carnegie and that we espouse you know, which is to, to, to put, our, put ourselves in your audience's shoes and saying, how do, we, how do we offer something? So the greatest opportunity to influence really is to start with the other person's point of view and, and really to be uh, 
uh, sensitive or attentive to that. Joe, we have about five minutes left. And so what advice do you have? I mean, you have such a, a broad view. What advice do you have for people who want to be change agents and maybe they work inside a large organization or inside the government and they want to be a change agent, but it's just sometimes seems impossible. So before I answer that question, with only five minutes to go, I, I know that your audience would probably be disappointed if we only, only talked about the R, the A, and the L, and, and left the A. So, so let me make sure I address that, and then we can come back if that's okay with you, and address you know what happens when it's hopeless, what happens when I feel like I can't make a change. And, and that's, that's the reality for a very significant number of people. So we talked about, the, the, the again, the real is how do I become a great leader? And how do I influence other people? And so I am reliable. I am empathetic. The A is aspirational. And, and really what we have found, what the research told us is that the most successful leaders are those, I mean, the, the bottom line is critical. We talk about the bottom line. We need to focus on top line, bottom line, and so forth. And at the same time, the greatest leaders often go beyond that. And we know millennials in particular are looking for meaning. We all want meaning. We all want to feel like we're making a difference or making contribution. And the, the aspirational quality of a leader, uh, you know, I, I think about Steve Jobs, you know, who, who could have said to his team, you know, we're going to come out with this great phone. It's going to be really cool. We're going to make a boatload of money. He, he never talked in, in those terms. He always talked in terms of, you know, we're going to change the world. We're going to revolutionize the way that people can listen to their you know, music and connect with information and connect with each other and so forth. We're going to put the ability to, to have two people in, in different continents you know, together instantaneously through their phones. I mean, he would talk about a bigger picture. So the, there's an opportunity for us, too, to keep that in mind, that when I'm talking to someone that I, I, I can believe that they, they desire to be great themselves. They don't desire to be mediocre. So how do I try to call that as a leader? I, I was at a company, one of our clients in Florida, and they're a major uh, manufacturer of signs um, throughout the, the, the world. Um, and a lot of their, their signs are on the job and they're in the workplace. And what they, they don't talk about, I mean, they do talk about making high quality signs and so forth, but what they talk about every employee who is in a workplace where their signs are going home safely that night. It's about really, it's about something bigger. It's about really making sure that what they're doing is having an impact on the lives of their customers and so forth. They really demonstrate a caring and they look at, at metrics that tie to those types of things too. So, so the R is uh, reliable, the E is empathetic, the A is aspirational, the L is learner, being an active learner, always trying to get more information. Um, so, so then going back to your question, and your question is, okay, what if I'm in, you know, what appears to be a hopeless situation um, where I'm just, a, I mean, and there are, there are, let's just be honest, there are negative workplaces and and, you know, I can do the very best I can and still be in a negative workplace. And, and ultimately, you know, if, if the vision of the people I'm working with and my vision are not in alignment, if the character of the people I'm working with and the character and my character, if, if you know, um, there's not respect, that may be a time where someone says that this is just this is an area that I, I'm not going to be able to, 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 to be. Um, meanwhile, though, um, I, I have heard lots of examples. I know of examples where, where one or two people have made a very positive impact or in their workplace simply by going to someone that they had a bad relationship with in a workplace, two people who, who were always butting heads. 
And for, for one person to start by saying, you know, Michael, I've been thinking about our relationship and how we've been working together. And, you know, I'm not happy about the way that I have acted towards you. And, and I want to apologize for some of the things and just to, to start there. So, you know, the first question is, what can I do to create a better workplace, a better environment, better relationships with people around me? And at the same time, there are some situations where that's just not going to work and a person may need to look for something else. But at least if you, but you, if possible, take the initiative and try to make that connection. Yes. And, and, and to do it in a, a way that, that respects the person. And again, I mean, there, there are, these are, there are, you know, techniques or strategies of, of how we, we interact with each. And, and like you said, these, these take time. You've got to learn them. You've got to practice them. Um, and at the same time, I've seen awful situations that, that could have been explosive be diffused because, because someone took the first step. Someone knew how to communicate, or how to ask the question, or just to listen, just to listen, to let the person kind of, you know, get it off their chest and then, you know, maybe even to say I'm sorry, you know, so, but those are some thoughts. Well, thank you so much. We have been talking with Joe Hart, who is the CEO of Dale Carnegie. And what a great show this has been teaching us about leadership. Joe, thanks so much again for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. It's great to see you and I appreciate being on your show. Everybody, we appreciate you tuning in and joining us each week. And thanks so much. I hope you have a great weekend and we'll look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye-bye.